Now, home is a lot of work. Just plain work. When work at home is planned and organized for cooperation, there can usually be more time for leisure. I'm certainly in favor of those things. Leisure, fun. Who is it? Wouldn't we all be happier if we worked out a little system for living together in harmony? But how can we manage them? We'll have to work out the full answer together. Say, Mom, it's well. Family problems can be solved through frank and friendly discussion, which points the way to a happy family life. You know, this is beginning to be quite a family project. It certainly is. Well, we all know that our families are not perfect. You know what? That's okay. This series isn't about us somehow becoming perfect families. Rather, it's accepting that we're not perfect, and yet allowing the love of Jesus to motivate us to keep growing and to keep learning together. That's what this series is about. It's about listening to Jesus and then putting into practice his truth and his teaching into our lives and especially into our families. His truth is what changes us when we choose to submit to it. So today is our final installment as we learn from the words of Jesus, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Are you a peace taker, a peace faker, or a peacemaker? To be a true peacemaker can be very difficult in most families. Mm -hmm. So, Fiona, tell us about where you live. Well, Shrek owns his own land. <laughs> Don't you, honey? Oh, yes. <laughs> It's in an enchanted forest, abundant in squirrels and cute little duckies and... What? <laughs> I know you ain't talking about the swamp. Donkey, an ogre from a swamp. Oh, how original. Well, I suppose that will be a fine place to raise the children. It's a bit early to be thinking about that, isn't it? Indeed. <laughs> I just started eating. Harold! What's that supposed to mean? Dad, it's great, okay? Well, for his type, yes. My type? I gotta go to the bathroom. Dinner is served. Never mind, I can hold it. Bon appetit! Oh, Mexican food! Well, let's not just sit here with our tummies rumbling. Everybody dig in. Don't mind if I do, Lillian. So, I suppose any grandchildren I could expect from you would be... Ogres. Yes. Not that there's anything wrong with that. Right, Harold? Oh, no! No, of course not. That is assuming you don't eat your own gang. Dad! Oh, no. We usually prefer the ones who've been locked away in a tower. Shrek, please. I only did that because I love her. Oh, hi. Daycare or Dragon Guarded Castle? You wouldn't understand. You're not her father. <sighs> it's so nice to have the family together for dinner. Well, no matter the relationship, we all need to heed the command of Jesus in Matthew 5, 9. Blessed are the peacemakers. And today, as we finish our series, Our Imperfect Family, 
we choose to value and prioritize the teaching of Jesus and apply it to our families. So the key today is this. We are called to be peacemakers in our families. So whether you are a parent, a child, a husband, a wife, a single parent, an in-law, an outlaw, a sibling, it is your responsibility and mine to be a peacemaker in our families. So let's listen to one of our imperfect families, the Marchands, read all of the Beatitudes to us today. Matthew 5, 3 through 12. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek for the one for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they've persecuted the prophets who were before you. Blessed are the peacemakers. When Jesus spoke these words, there was a similar undercurrent happening in the world that we can see parallels even today in our society. In Jesus' day, they lived under the oppression of the Roman Empire. The Romans regarded peace not as an absence of war, but as the rare situation that existed when all opponents had been beaten down and they lost their ability to resist. But if you were the enemy and your nation was the one beaten down and could no longer resist, that would be oppressive. It would be brutal. So we must remember that Jesus spoke these words not to a difficult political climate in which maybe the other political party was in power. He gave this challenge to be a peacemaker in the face of a brutal and oppressive dictator who could just throw you to the lions if he didn't like what you were wearing that day or your beliefs. So as you and I think about our excuses as to why being a peacemaker just doesn't ex work in our culture today, Doug. I mean, we've got to be able to meet as a church or we shouldn't be forced to wear masks because it fringes on our freedoms. We need to remember that our culture is a walk in the park compared to the environment into which Jesus spoke these words, blessed are the peacemakers. Now, there was a particular segment of the Jewish nation who were called zealots. Um, Judas, one of the twelve that Jesus selected, he was one of those zealots. And they thought that their role was to rise up against the Romans and through any means necessary, throw off their oppression, get rid of the Roman rule. So you got to wonder, what did Judas think? What did the other zealots think when they heard Jesus give the teaching of the Sermon on the Mount. For example, this passage, Matthew 5. You've heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. 
If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. If anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. What would they think of that? Or what would they think of the words of our beatitude, the one we're looking at today? Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. What do you think about this teaching? What do you do with this teaching? And this is so appropriate in our political climate today. We all know that it is so easy to attack someone on social media, shoot off an email without ever knowing what's truly going on in their life. Rather than being peacemakers that Jesus has called us to be, we become peace takers due to just simply missing the point Jesus has. And there are times where you and I, we need to learn from those who are very different from us. As a veteran comedian and improv actor, Patton Oswalt is known to have a ready retort for anyone heckling or giving him grief. But one particular time, his response caught his antagonist by surprise. It started with a sarcastic tweet Oswalt made at President Trump. And so a Trump supporter named Michael Beatty tweeted back in response, lobbying accusations and insults at Oswalt. And Oswalt quickly attacked back. But out of curiosity, Oswalt began scrolling through Beatty's Twitter timeline, and what he found took him by surprise, which prompted Oswalt to tweet the following admission. Oh man, this dude just attacked me on Twitter, and I joked back, but then I looked at his timeline, and he's in a lot of trouble health-wise. He's been dealt some terrible cards. Let's deal him some good ones. Click and donate, just like I'm about to. And the link that followed was to a GoFundMe account dedicated to help cover the burgeoning costs of health care for Beatty's health condition. And because of Oswalt's efforts at donation and promotion, the campaign began trending on social media and exceeded several times over Beatty's initial goal of $5,000. And Beatty responded to Oswald with this, You have humbled me to the point where I can barely compose my words. You have caused me to take pause and reflect on how many harmful words from my mouth could result in such an outpouring. We can learn from anyone, and we should. But today, we're going to learn from the mouth of Jesus Christ himself. So let's learn what this word peacemaker means. The stress on peace is a common motif throughout scriptures. Um, In the Old Testament, the word peace was the word shalom, which was a blessing of peace that was used by a, a Jew as either a greeting to someone or as a farewell to someone. It carried with them this, the idea of a whole body, soul, spirit, well-being. It was always used by a Jew with the understanding that the source and giver of peace is God and God alone. Like Isaiah says in Isaiah 26, you will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. 
Trust in the Lord forever. For the Lord, the Lord himself, is the rock eternal. So in the Old Testament, this word peace is a gift from God. It can only be gained in his presence. The clear source of peace is God alone. One of the most powerful pictures of peace is found at the climax of the blessing in Numbers chapter 6 from Moses, who's commanded by God to transmit this blessing to Aaron and his sons, in other words, the priest, as the form of blessing with which they are to bless Israel. And maybe this sounds familiar to you. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.
The Lord alone is the source and giver of true peace. That was the teaching of the Old Testament. And as we turn to the New Testament, this theme, this idea of peace continues that God is the source of peace, but that this peace can now be found in Jesus alone. John 14, 27, Jesus said, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. So how does Jesus give this peace? Through his sacrifice on the cross. And the whole world can discover this peace through the preaching of that gospel, the gospel of peace. Here's how Paul words it in Ephesians 2. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. So in your life and in mine, we only have peace if we have made the decision to accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior. We've trusted in his sacrifice to save us. We've re repented of our sins. We've confessed his name that we've been baptized into Christ. Peace can only come through accepting Jesus. But then in this beatitude, Jesus clearly moves peace um, from merely receiving to, to active giving to being a peacemaker. Here's other places in how it's worded in the New Testament. Romans 14, 19. Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. Hebrews 12, 14, make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. James 3, 18, peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. 1 Peter 3, 11, they must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. So the concept of being a peacemaker is very clearly an active role in Jesus' mind. So what did Jesus mean by being a peacemaker? It's someone who is actively seeking to reconcile people to God and to one another. And the word make in the term peacemaker comes from a Greek verb that means to do or to make. It's, it's a word bursting with energy. It mandates action and initiative. Someone has to drag the combatants to the table and give them a reason to put down their arms. And notice, Jesus didn't say blessed are the peace wishers or the peace hopers or the peace dreamers or the peace lovers or the peace talkers. Why? Because peace must be made. Peace never happens by chance. A peacemaker is never passive. They always take the initiative. They are up and they are doing. So when we take these two words together, peace and maker, they describe one who actively pursues peace. The peacemaker pursues more than the absence of conflict. 
They don't avoid strife. In fact, sometimes peacemaking will create strife. They aren't merely seeking to appease the warring parties. They aren't trying to accommodate everyone. Instead, they are pursuing all the beauty and the blessedness of God upon another. As William Barclay translates this verse, they are people who produce right relationships in every sphere of life. You and I, we are truly a child of God. You truly demonstrate that he is your father when you work to make peace. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. So I want us to to talk about how do we actively pursue peace in our marriages. Because you and I, we all know that there are times where conflict is real and that conflict can become destructive. But first, I want to ask you to wrestle with this question. Are you a peace taker? Uh, a peace faker, or are you a peacemaker? Now, don't look at your mate and tell them what you think they are. You need to ask yourself, wrestle with this question. What, what am I? Does my personality tend towards avoiding conflict at all costs? Does my personality tend towards this attack mentality when it comes to conflict? See, neither naturally moves us towards being a peacemaker. So we all have to overcome this natural tendency we have so that we can move towards being a peacemaker. Now, the Apostle Paul used this word peace some 43 times in his letters to the various churches that he wrote to. One of those times is to the church at Rome, and he gives them this instruction, Romans 12, 18. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. There are so many qualifiers in this verse. If it is possible... Because it's not always, right? As far as it depends on you, there's a personal responsibility here. Live at peace with everyone. No exceptions, no excuses. And there's so many good biblical principles to being a peacemaker in the home. So I just want to give you four, but I'm going to have Les and Leslie Parrott explain each one of these to you. They are Christian psychiatrists who have spent years helping couples in their marriages. I highly recommend you using their resources. Go to their website and make use of the teaching that they have about marriage and relationships. So here's some principles to remember. Number one, let's begin with some bad habits that we can all fall into. If you want to have peace, here are four things to avoid in fighting. You know, there's been research that has been able to predict with a 94% accuracy rate whether a couple will succeed or fail in their marriage based solely on how they fight. Think about that. Right. 94% accuracy rate. And uh, it has to do with what the researcher, John Gottman, calls the four horsemen of the apocalypse. That's what he calls (laughs) them. That says it all, doesn't it? And the first of these is criticism. Yeah. And if you think about it, every conflict begins with a critical comment. Uh, but that can sometimes then yeah. lead to number two, which, which is, is defensiveness. And it seems so humanly natural. If I get criticized, I want to get defensive. But defensiveness escalates a conflict. Right. It never resolves no. the issue when we defend ourselves. And that leads to number three, which is contempt, which is the opposite of respect. And yeah. respect is really the holy ground of 
keeping a marriage healthy. Right, and and that kind of contempt is anything that makes you feel that tall. It's a belittling remark. Yes. Way to go, Einstein, regular genius, aren't you? You know, those kinds of things. And that then leads to number four, which is stonewalling. Yeah. Stonewalling. It's a powerful place where you've really withdrawn emotionally yeah. from your spouse. Yeah, if you don't leave physically, you leave emotionally right. and you become almost like a stone wall. Hard heart. Those are the four things that he's looking for when he's able to make this incredible prediction. Right. And you might be thinking, uh, this doesn't sound good. We got some of this in our relationship. Hey, welcome to marriage. We all have some of this. Yes. What he's looking for are those couples that don't know how to short circuit that whole system. Right. Those four things. Really, the good news is every couple can learn how to short circuit that system. Right. There's hope. Criticism, defensiveness, contempt, stonewalling. We all struggle with those. We need to get rid of those. Number two, Remember that your family is not the enemy. Hey, you know, conflict is inevitable, right? It doesn't matter how loving you are. In fact, my favorite verse in all of scripture on conflict, Romans 12 verse 18 says, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, try to live at peace with everyone. Have you ever seen a verse that has more qualifiers <laughs> in it than that single verse? Even scripture's acknowledging we're gonna have conflict. Yeah, conflict is real life, but what we need to understand is how can we navigate conflict in a way that doesn't damage our yeah, relationship? One of the most important ingredients is a cooperative spirit. When we look yes. at what goes into a good fight, because there's a big difference between a good fight and a bad fight, right? Yes. A good fight brings us closer together. In fact, we often say conflict is the price we pay for deeper intimacy. Right. So a good fight versus a bad fight, you have to have a cooperative spirit, which means we're on the same team here. Yeah, because if you try to win in a fight with your spouse, your marriage is what loses, not, not your spouse. Right. So you want to be cooperative. In fact, one of the best metaphors I've ever had for us, and we'll call it up whenever yeah. we're in a fight, after watching loads of soccer games on that field, I'll try to picture the two of us on the same team out on that field. We have a problem. It's like we're kicking that soccer ball back and forth between us, trying the to solve- The soccer ball is the problem, yeah, right? Not exactly. you or not me, No, but the and problem. we're not on opposing teams. Yeah. We're trying to score together by finding resolution, and that's, we're making a goal. Right, and that's what keeps us on the same team, a cooperative right. spirit essential to fighting a good fight. We all know that emotions run high when conflict happens. So the way to have a good fight is to remember, you know what, we're on the same team. I don't have to beat them, right? We want to win together. Number three, take ownership of the issue. As Paul said, as far as it depends on you. You know, one of the questions we get time and time again is, how do you fight fair? Right. After all, we all have conflict, so how do you do it in a way that is productive? And we know certain ingredients are essential to fighting fair. That is so true, and one of the keys of a fair fight is taking ownership in the midst of the chaos. Yeah, you ever had a pride fight? <laughs> of course, they're all pride fights, right? And this is essential. You've got to own your piece of the pie. That's part of it, and that involves humility. It does, and, and you really think sometimes, look, this is not on me. You caused this by what <laughs> you did. But honestly, we can always say, okay, but the way I reacted to you in this moment is adding to the chaos in our relationship and I can really own that and when you have that humility and take ownership instead of blaming 
it turns that thing into a fair fight. Yeah, I have a friend who has this little saying you'll never forget. He says, humble pie is a pastry that's never tasty. Yep. And isn't that the truth? So sometimes you have to swallow your pride and yeah. say, hey, I know I'm adding to the chaos here, and I really want to blame you for all of it, but I realize I'm bringing some of it to the table as well. Right. You do that, you're well on your way to fighting a good fight. And number four, always practice forgiveness. Forgiveness is such a needed element in marriage. You know, there's those moments uh, when things happen in a relationship where it calls upon you to give extraordinary grace and forgiveness. And how do you do that? How do you really forgive? And I think sometimes we think, okay, forgiveness is a deep feeling. Forgiveness looks like it has certain steps to it. Honestly, forgiveness just requires two things, an awareness that you have deeply been hurt. We often think I should deny that I've been hurt, right. but you really need to be aware of and own how this moment and affected me. That, yes, right? that it really is hurtful. Right, okay? and, and once you're aware of that fully, then you need to set it aside and in humility, offer that. And to me, I don't think it's possible without the work of the Holy Spirit in your life to really give you the capacity to now take that hurt and give it away. Set it aside, not hold your spouse accountable for that hurt for the rest of their life in a way they can't fix. Right. Um, that doesn't mean you're, you're not honest that it's still a real hurt, but it means you're not asking them to repay the debt you're giving them grace. I can't remember who said this, but it's something to the effect of if you want a good relationship, make sure you marry a good forgiver. And it goes that both is ways, so true. right? Because yeah. it's inevitable. We're, we're both going to need to do that. A good marriage is built on plenty of forgiveness. Absolutely. Forgiveness is so crucial. You know, you're not demanding that they pay up this debt that you feel they owe to you. It's hard, it's challenging. Forgiveness is not saying everything is okay, but it's such an essential thing. So when I've done premarital counseling over the past many, many years, I always talk about Pearl and Orvis Tudor. You, you've heard me talk about them before. It was the very first church I preached at in Eldorado Springs, Missouri. I'm like 23, 24. I've been married a whole of what, like one or two years. Um, Pearl and Orvis had been married 67 years. They were um, into their lower 90s. And I sat there on their front porch visiting with them. And, and just to be honest, uh, Pearl and Orvis, they were, they were old and they were ugly. I mean, they were sitting there on their front porch talking about what they had been through. Well, they talked about some of the great blessings that they'd had in their marriage and their life together. They talked about some horrible tragedies that they'd faced. But it was very clear to me, even as a young man, how much they loved each other. And I thought, that's what I want. I want to be old and ugly, sitting on the front porch with my wife, us in deep love with one another, not because life had always been great or that we had always gotten along, but because we stayed committed to one another, that we chose to practice the truth and teaching of Jesus Christ in our lives. And that's what I want for you, for your marriage. That even as you face the struggles and the difficulties, and I know that some of you right now may be feeling like giving up. I pray that you would see the truth of Jesus Christ and submit to his teaching and put it into practice in your families, in your marriages, in the relationships that we have one with another. Let me pray for us. Lord, we need you desperately to help us. Father, to help us to put into practice some 
to submit to your teaching, Lord, that we would be peacemakers in our home, that we would initiate and that we would seek after. And Lord, that we would be willing to speak the truth and love, to offer forgiveness, to take responsibility, Lord, to put aside some of those bad habits that we have. And so, Father, I pray for marriages today. Would you encourage them? In your most precious name we pray. Amen.